0: Open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, and if you're paying close, paying close attention, yes, I did get partially baptized today. Um, water got in the waders, and so quick adjustments here, but we're good to go. Amen. What a wonderful time to sing and to worship uh, with our voices and through baptism And just giving all glory to God for the work of salvation. I'm very excited for Kevin and Logan as they continue to follow Christ Jesus. And I ask that you be praying for them in the coming days as they are committed to following Christ. We're in John chapter 10. This will conclude our messages with the good shepherd. And so if you're taking notes today, and I hope you will, uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, plain and simple. We're going to be seeing in these verses. We're going to start with verse 19 and we're going to read through verse 30. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we are grateful for your word. Thank you for the good shepherd. We, your sheep, have been gathered here by your grace. And it's plain and simple. We must continue to believe that he is the good shepherd. Help us in our unbelief. Help us where we doubt. Help us where we try to guide ourselves instead of trusting in Christ Jesus. As we come to the table today to receive the bread and the cup, May we examine our hearts according to the scriptures, making sure that we are following in obedience and that we don't have any sin that we are gripping onto selfishly, that we would surrender all things unto you. Father, I pray for those who are here today that are not of the fold, but, Father, they are lost sheep, that you would bring them into the fold today by your grace, that they would hear, that they would believe, that they would follow. And so God, will you do a great work among us, and may it be plain and simple to us as we walk out of this building that Jesus is the good shepherd. We love you. We thank you. This in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. We get to verse 19, and there's a division among the Jews. Jesus has just said that he has the authority to lay down his life, and then he has the authority to take his life up again. Now, many of us are in positions of authority, of leadership. Not a single one of us in this room have the authority to lay down our life and take it up again of our own accord and of the Father's will, as Jesus did. And it was the same for those who are going to gather around Jesus in this passage, None of them had the authority to lay their lives down and take it up again according to the Father's will. Only Jesus. Instead of this being good news for many people, they're disturbed by it. But then there are others who begin to ask an all-important question, and we'll look at it today. I want to make it clear that as we're talking about the many and we're talking about the others, we're not saying that the others, this crowd, that all of them would follow Christ. But yet we can relate to the others knowing that although there are many who are against Christ, there are others who will indeed trust in Jesus. And so Joshua 1, 9 is an encouragement to all of the others who are in the room today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I share this with you as Joshua shared it with the people of the Lord. The word of the Lord, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as the others, the ones who would say, yes, indeed, we believe that Jesus is the good shepherd, may we be courageous. May we be bold. May we be unashamed. And may we be faithful to follow the good shepherd. The many in this passage are convinced that Jesus is, is an evil lunatic. And how could we blame them if their hearts are not for the Lord? Because if Jesus is indeed not the good shepherd, then what Jesus came to do would be an evil work to fool a bunch of people into thinking that he is the savior. He would be a lunatic to give his life on the cross. And so for all of those who reject Jesus as savior, They must see him as an evil lunatic. There's there's really no other way around it. Uh, Just recently, I was having a conversation with a lady who said that she believed in Jesus. But then I asked her, do you believe that he's the Messiah? And she says, no, I do not believe that he is the Messiah. But I do believe that Jesus is a God and that he's good. I said, where have you arrived at this conclusion? Where are you gaining your evidence from? She said, I just believe it. What she was saying is, I'm the authority on Jesus. I looked back to her and said, well, I would rather not trust in your opinion of Jesus, but rather I want to take Jesus at his own word and see what the word of God says about Jesus. But she was unwilling to go there. So the response was, then you must think that Jesus is an evil lunatic. Because what he did on the cross makes no sense to you if he is not Lord, if he is not God's son, if he is not the good shepherd. And that's the audience that's viewed as the many here in John chapter 10. This is what they say. He has a demon and is insane. He has a demon. He is evil. He is insane. He is a lunatic. As we'll see today, the many... Although they disagree with Jesus, they seem to keep coming back and asking Jesus questions as if they truly do want to listen to him, but they never like what Jesus shares with them. And then the others come along and they pose a difficult question to the many. And here's here's the question. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, why would they ask this question? Because... Chapter 10 follows chapter 9, where Jesus went to a blind man who could not see until Jesus came to him and opened his eyes. As we studied chapter 9, we said, we're the blind man. Christians who could not see, they were blinded due to their sin until Jesus came to us by his grace and enabled us to see so that we could place true, genuine faith in Christ Jesus. So the answer to this question draws a division among the people and there continues to be a division today among the many who do not believe and the others who believe. You may not like that I just said that there is a division between two people but whether you like it or not it is true. There's not to be a division in the church but there is a clear division in the world. Jesus draws the line of division Because if you are for him, you are his. If you are against him, you are not his. And whether you like that or not, one day when we stand before King Jesus, there will be a clear division between those who are sheep of the Good Shepherd and those who are goats who are not of the Good Shepherd. So, the question I have for you today is Are you a sheep that's faithfully following the Good Shepherd? And you understand that Jesus does draw a clear line of division that you can't just view him however you would like, but yet he has established his kingship. He is the one with authority, and he is the one to be trusted. So the real question is plain and simple for us today. Is Jesus the Good Shepherd? What is your answer before I go any further? Is Jesus the Good Shepherd? Write it down on the page. Either yes. Or no, if you put no, I bid you to continue to listen because I want you to be convinced because I stand before you today, absolutely wholeheartedly convinced that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. But I also stand before you being convinced that he's the good shepherd, that I did not arrive at this position in and of myself, but fully by the grace of God. But if you're wrestling with it, I am so glad that you are here. And this is a place to wrestle with the question. Now, if you wrote yes, praise be to God, and I hope that you are even more convinced today that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. So I want to remind you that when we turn to verse 22, it's winter time in Jerusalem. It's winter. Much like we have our winter day. It's cold and rainy outside. There were cold and rainy conditions, which slowed down travel in Jerusalem. Many times when you read in scripture of people traveling to Jerusalem, it says they were going up to Jerusalem because there was a climb. There was a walk up to Jerusalem, meaning that if you were walking up upon roads that were made of dirt, when it would rain, they would become slippery, making travel almost impossible. And so armies stopped their marches and settled into camps during the winter. Unable to move forward, unable to conquer, they settled So we have this reference in mind, maybe quiet. It's not as boisterous, not as much movement among the city as normal. And without trying to stretch the seasonal reference out too far, it does paint a visual for us featuring the cold and hardened hearts of the Jews. In their darkened spiritual condition, it is impossible for them to travel into God's kingdom in their own strength, no matter how hard they might try, it is impossible. It is winter within their hearts. They are powerless to transfer themselves from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so spiritually, we see a constant season of winter within the center, within the sinner's heart. It's cold, it's hard, it's icy towards God. Maybe you're here today and your heart is cold, it is hard. It is icy towards God. I hope that by the end your heart is warmed by God's grace and that you truly will see Jesus as the good shepherd. I just want to point that out that that is the condition of the people who are about to gather around Jesus. But it's also the feast of dedication. This was a new feast. This is not a feast that you're going to read of in the time of Moses when the festivals were passed down and Enacted and a tradition was formed. This happened around 165 BC, before Christ, in the Maccabean revolt. uh, The Syrians had desecrated the temple. Antiochus Epiphanes was in charge of this. They set up uh, God's um, statues within the temple there in Jerusalem. And so there was a revolt against this. So there was a type of Messiah that led the revolt. And so this is a new tradition established in Jerusalem. It's not something they had for centuries old, but only a century and a half old. But yet they would still celebrate every December, late November, early December, or throughout the month of December. Twelve days. It's a dedication. They have hearts of gratitude, thankful that the temple has been Quote unquote, restore to its proper form of worship. So all of this is happening. It's winter, it's Hanukkah, and Jesus was walking in the temple, verse 23. But notice in verse 23, it's just Jesus walking. Not Jesus and the disciples or Jesus and the crowd, but Jesus. Because the work of Jesus was lonely, because he is the only one worthy to come down and complete the work that is necessary for the salvation of men and women. But let's be clear. Jesus was not lonely, meaning that he needed the crowd to affirm what he was doing, for he still had his oneness with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But we ask this question, is John being intentional here with mentioning only Jesus? Does he want us to take hold of this to see that what Jesus came to do did set him apart from anyone else who ever came upon this earth? It's quite possible. The temple at this point is only a shell of what it was created to be. Although there is worship, there's not a true, genuine worship unto God the Father. And and this is evident by when God steps into the temple, they reject him, that being Jesus. So in steps Jesus, he has come to bring restoration, but not to a physical building, but to a physical people who are also his sheep. He wants to restore them. He wants to bring them to life. And as he is walking in the colonnade of Solomon, he is surrounded by a mob of Jews. And like dogs surrounding a prey, they surround Jesus and begin to bark out false accusations against him. Ever been falsely accused? Something been put on you, blame being cast upon you of something you did not do? It's a helpless feeling. It's frustrating to plead your case, to say, no, I did not commit this crime that you speak of. Those who are placed in prison who did not commit the crime and say they're there for 30 years and then later DNA evidence comes to prove that indeed they were innocent. And yet our hearts are heavy for them, for we feel as though they've missed and they have a majority of their life out in public. And yet there's no getting that back. Yet Jesus continues to be falsely accused. If there's anyone who is innocent of crimes, anyone who is innocent of committing sin, it was Jesus. But again and again and again, Jesus is falsely accused. It's interesting that the setting is in the colonnade of Solomon or Solomon's Porch for short. Solomon being the wisest man to live on earth other than Christ. And here stands the Christ, the most wise counselor, surrounded by a mob, breathing out false accusations. But This did not catch Jesus off guard. Jesus does not have the woe is me. How could you? How could you ever cast blame upon me? I am God in the flesh. I am pure. I am holy. I am innocent. I am righteous. I am the good man. But yet he doesn't go to the woe is me. He knew when he came down to earth that he was stepping down into a world of false accusers. From the very first human being that he created, that being Adam, When Adam sinned in the great rebellion in the garden, his response when he was questioned was, the woman that you gave me, right? What's happening there is that Adam is not taking responsibility for his own actions, for his own sin. He is accusing God. God, if you would have left me to myself, I would not be in this position. But the woman, your idea, has created this. And yet we're famous for accusing God of many things, which God never does. We are famous for accusing God for being unfair, unjust. How could you allow this to happen in my life, my life, God? Who do you think you are? How can I ever trust you if you've taken these things from me? And yet God is patient and kind with us to not kill us on the spot as we falsely accuse him. But yet understand that the patience that God has towards us is not because God is weak and frail and fragile and can't stand up for himself, but that patience is meant to lead us to repentance. And we hope for the repentance of this crowd that is around him But here they come with this question. How long will you keep us in suspense? Now, when we hear this word suspense, we can quickly relate it to uh, maybe, Logan, when you went to pop the question recently to Emily, you're in suspense. You're going, okay, I think she's going to say yes. I'm pretty convinced she's going to say yes. She better say yes. There was a suspense building, right? But then she says yes, and you go, "Ah." I knew it. (laughs) It's good. Or you're at a movie and you're sitting on the edge of your seat. You're in a thriller. You don't know what's going to happen at the end and everybody's on the edge of their seat. There's a suspense. Or you're at a ball game. It's the final seconds. Somebody puts up the final shot and everybody's waiting for the ball to come down. Is it going to go in or is it going to bounce off the rim? Everybody's in Suspense. Like we relate to that suspense, but that's not the type of suspense that's happening here as the crowd gathers around Jesus. No, they're annoyed. They're frustrated. How long are you going to annoy us, Jesus, with all of this that you're doing? Yeah, you say you're God's son. You say you're the king. You say you're the Messiah. But hey, how long are you going to annoy us? And yet he did reveal or he did conceal himself to this crowd as an act of grace so that more judgment would not be cast upon them for denying him. But yet they've heard enough and then they come to him and they say, hey, will you go on record, Jesus? State your position right now. You see, it was a demand and here's the demand. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You may be in this position right now. If if he is the Christ, let him just tell me plainly. Speak plainly, clearly. Enunciate Jesus. That's what's happening. And all of this is a result of Jesus saying he's the good shepherd. And they don't like that he says he's the good shepherd. But understand that their problem is not intellectual, but spiritual. Spiritual. They are spiritually blind, just like the man in John chapter 9. And today, your problem may not be intellectual, but Spiritual you're spiritually blind to Jesus they want him to talk plainly but he restored a man who was paralyzed for 38 years that's pretty plain to me maybe it's plain to you he took a man that was blind from birth and he gave him sight it's pretty plain and in the next chapter John chapter 11 he's going to take a man who is dead for 4 days and he's going to call him to life that's going to be very plain but not for those who are spiritually blind. No matter how clearly Jesus speaks, it will never be enough to those whose hearts are hardened towards God. Never will it be. You think, well, maybe they have potential. But understand, it's not intellectual. It's not, hey, get your act together so you can come to Jesus. It's that you will never get your act together apart from the grace of God. And Jesus is going to make this clear to the crowd that is surrounding him and saying, hey, tell us plainly. And may it be clear to us today, if you're demanding God to give you a sign, if you want him to spell something out before you trust him to provide a miracle, let's just call it what it is. That's pride. And this may sound harsh, but it is a true reality. That's ignorance. Ignorance. You are no different than any other person who's lived on this earth and God did many miracles before people in the past and they still did not believe. It's not here. It's here. The heart must be changed. Number one, plain and simple, the sheep believe and follow the good shepherd. Verses 25 through 27 in here, Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep hear this clearly. Jesus does not say, because you're not among my sheep yet, you don't believe. No, he says, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. You're not my sheep. You do not believe. We do not believe to become God's sheep. We believe because we are God's sheep. I may grind the gears a little bit and I get it. It's tough. But we're not waiting to become sheep. You're a sheep and you believe. We're dealing with the work of regeneration, which leads to faith and repentance. But understand that it's not faith and repentance that lead to regeneration. If somebody were to ask you the question, what is the work of regeneration? You may say, well, that's a changed life. That's when we have faith and repentance, when we trust in the Lord, and then we begin to change. No, what you're speaking of, a changed life, that's called restoration. That's reconciliation leading to restoration. Regeneration happens on the act of God coming to the heart to change a stubborn, rebellious heart. It's when we are made to see, it's when we place faith and trust in Christ because of God's grace. It's when all glory and praise and honor is to God for our salvation. These two men who were baptized today, I told them I should eat my Wheaties before I baptized them, and I was weak today. I'm going to tell you. But God was not weak when it came to saving them, to making them His very own. And when we say congratulations, we are saying congratulations to God. Praise be to God for your grace, which enacted a true confession that Jesus is Lord. And so when we type on social media today, we say praise be to God that you are following Jesus. What wonderful news. All glory be to God. We've seen many times before when people are baptized, and here's what you'll see posted underneath it. We are so excited about your decision. This is the most important decision you will ever make. We are so proud of you. Now, before you think I'm cold hearted, let me explain. There's nothing wrong with congratulating and celebrating with someone who has been baptized. But we give all glory and honor to God for salvation. That may go against our tradition, even in the Southern Baptist Church. But may we not waver and may we see it clearly today that those who trust in the good shepherd are sheep by God's grace. And you make a true, genuine confession that you want to follow Jesus. Before we would think that this requires some robotic response or a response that is against our will. No, that is not what happens. We are indeed made willing to trust in the good shepherd, and we want to follow the shepherd. And the good confession that we make that Jesus is Lord is indeed true. You've been set free to call upon Christ. This is plain and simple. There is a distinction between regeneration and restoration, regeneration, all glory be to God, restoration, because of the great work that God has done in our hearts, it brings about true faith and repentance. It is important that we have the order correct here. And because of this, the sheep hear the voice of the good shepherd. They do hear this good shepherd's call. We spoke of that when we said that the sheep are called by the good shepherd, and it's effectual call. There's a true following. And this is way he says, "I know them. I know them, and they follow me." So today, you're saying, "I'm a follower of Jesus." How do you know that you're a follower of Jesus? Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Write that one down because that's deep. That is deep. That's deep. But it's simple, and it should be simple. We follow Jesus. Countless times I've sat across from someone and I say, how do you know that you follow Jesus? Because I was baptized or because I walked in front of a church. I made a decision. But what's missing from the testimony is that I repented and placed true faith in Christ. Now, that may have happened in that testimony. But I would hope that everyone in this room would hear this. Are you sure that you're following Christ? Are you sure that you have true faith and repentance in Christ? Do you truly recognize him as the good shepherd, the only shepherd to lead you to God the Father? Are you most convinced of this? Because there are many who are not, and there are many who carry around a story that they walked an aisle, they filled out a card, they got baptized, and all of this happened 30 years ago, and there's no change in your life. You'll walk away from this building, and your life will not represent one who follows Jesus. That ought to bring fear in your heart today. And I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. What I wanted and what I hope is made clear today in the preaching of the Scripture is that those who are sheep follow. And if you're not following Jesus at this time in your life, I bid you to ask this genuine question to yourself. Is Jesus the good shepherd? And am I following him? And there's no situation to where you say, I want to follow the shepherd. Will he receive me? The answer is yes. Nowhere will you find someone who genuinely desires to follow Christ who is rejected by Christ. Hear the call, trust in the shepherd, believe in the work of regeneration leading to a restoration, a true following of Jesus. Number two, plain and simple, the sheep are forever safe with the good shepherd. The sheep are forever safe with the good shepherd. The hand of Christ here is beneath us. The hand of the father is over us. You are in the hand of Jesus. You are in the hand of the Father. And as I love what one commentary says, you are in the grip of omnipotence. There's no getting out of the hand of God when he has you. You say, oh, well, I could just launch off that pad of Christ back into the world, right? I could walk away from Christ. But you're not getting past God the Father. Those who are in this firm grip of salvation have no desire to leave. You may be tempted. When it comes down to it, you know that you are genuinely saved and there is no walking away from God. You are forever grateful that you are in this grip of omnipotence. I love the picture and another commentary points this out of Noah. When he entered the ark, when the ark was finished, remember we said there was one door in, one door out. Noah goes into the doorway and God shuts the door behind him. God shuts him in the ark. The storms of judgment would fall in their fury upon earth. The windows of heaven were open. The fountains of the deep were broken up, but Noah was safe. He was in the ark. The waters of judgment fell on the ark, not on him. Thus, our life is hid with Christ in God. Wow, here we are in the hand of Christ and God the Father. We are double gripped. We are secure by the firm grip of omnipotence. And yet we will never be lost. We will forever be safe. Why? Because the judgment of God was placed on Christ, and Christ protected us from that judgment. He took the judgment. He paid for our sins so that we will forever be safe with Christ. This is what happens at salvation. This is why we must only trust in Jesus. No one else paid the price for us and no one else could. Number three, plain and simple. The sheep will never be snatched away from the good shepherd. This is good. No one will ever come and take you away from Jesus. I hope this brings security to every believer in the room today that as you trust in Christ, he will not lose you. He will not forget about you. He will not walk away from you. You say, Brian, all of this sounds really familiar to your past three messages. Is it that you're just really lacking creativity right now in forming a message? No. I mean, maybe partly. I don't know, but... It's, it's that it's repetitive. Jesus is making this plain and simple. And so we're bringing it to a close today. Yes, it sounds very familiar to the sheep being purchased by the good shepherd and the sheep being called by the good shepherd and the sheep being protected by the good shepherd. The previous three messages in John chapter 10. But as we come today, We're reminded of these great truths. Jesus' life could not be snatched away. The work he came to do could not be thwarted, could not be stopped. John 10 18, we see that he had the authority to lay his life down and take it up again. And because it cannot be snatched away, no one can snatch his sheep from his hands. He defends, he protects. The enemy can never snatch us away. My daughter and I have a precious routine in the evening times. She's three. And if I were to ever say someone was perfect, I would say that she's perfect. In fact, one time I mistakenly said that, and my wife called me out. She rebuked me in that. We have this routine in the evening. And we're we'll walking to the room, and there's the rocking chair, and we have three books on repeat. <laughs> Cinderella, Little Mermaid, and Snow White. Only those three. And they're like 30 pages long, but she wants it read from cover to cover. And she knows at three years of age, although she cannot read yet, I don't think. I mean, she is pretty smart, but she knows when I kind of fast-forward through parts, You know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. You know, it's it's late in the day. It's late in the day. Kind of fast forwarding through parts in order to get to the end. And she goes, no, daddy, you missed this part on this page. And she'll point to it. She's memorized them, (sighs) right? And then we get to the happily ever after. And then I pull out the Jesus story book because I'm like, look, if, if we're going to read about a happy ever after ending between a human relationship, we're going to get to the true happy ever after and the relationship with God. Amen. Yeah. So she's like, okay, that's cool, daddy. And then after that, you know, we have, uh, we pray and then we have some songs, melody that we do. Um, this little light of mine, Jesus loves me. Wheels on the bus go round and round. We'll go through that, and then I'll lay her down to bed. In the story of Cinderella, I was thinking about this when being snatched away. In the story of Cinderella, there's the part where Cinderella's worked really hard. She wants to go to the ball. Wicked stepmother says, if you do this, you'll you'll be able to go. And she had no time to make a dress, okay? But I'm just telling you, she had these friends who were mice, and they put a dress together for her. And my daughter believes it. And they put the the to dress together with beads and sash sashes from the evil stepsisters. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful dress. And so she goes upstairs thinking she's missed the ball, and there's this dress, and she puts it on. And, and amazingly, she gets ready in under five minutes and is back downstairs and ready to go. And the evil sisters see this, and they recognize the beads and the sashes, which they threw out because they didn't like them. And they snatched them from her, leaving Cinderella as a big hot mess right there on the stairs. And then they leave. And you go, oh no, what's going to happen? Why did they snatch the beads in the sash away? Why did they do that? Because they were jealous of Cinderella. We know this. Like, they don't know it, but we know it. Like, they're jealous. We have an enemy that's jealous that we follow Christ. Extremely jealous. You wonder where jealousy comes from? This type of jealousy comes from the evil one. It's possessive. He's trying to take us away from representing the image of Christ. He hates the image of Christ. He's he's hated the image of Christ ever since he was cast down to earth. And yet he has tried to stop God from saving his people. And he is tireless in his efforts to confuse and to frustrate and to steal away the work of God, the work of Christ in our lives. But I want to encourage you today that if you are afraid of this enemy, you do not have to. Although he is jealous, there's nothing that he can do to you. You are safe in the hands of Christ. Trust in Jesus and do not walk in fear because it is plain and simple. The sheep will never be snatched away from the good shepherd. And from this point, as Jesus is speaking, we know that he's going to the cross, but going to the cross would not forfeit his role as the good shepherd, but only to serve, to confirm his eternal role. And later, for the church, she would undergo persecution from the world, but this does not deter the sheep from following the good shepherd. No matter how hard things get, we continue to follow because we are forever his And so as we come to our time of communion, this table relates to those who believe in the Good Shepherd. But if today you deny the Good Shepherd, this table is not for you. In fact, when the plates come past, if you will, please let it pass you by if you're not trusting in the Good Shepherd. And we do that lovingly because we care for you you would be receiving communion today in an unworthy manner. Now, you may look at me and go, why do you think you're worthy? I'll tell you why I'm worthy, because Christ is worthy. And so we receive communion today in the name of Jesus Christ, as he's our good shepherd. And so every time that we take communion, we are remembering that the good shepherd laid down his life for us, and that he also took it up again for us. Now, I hope that today you would trust in the good shepherd, that if you recognize today that you have sinned against a holy God, that you have rebelled just like everyone else in this room has rebelled against God, and you confess your sins to the Lord, you can trust and know that he paid for your sins at the cross, and you can be saved. And all of these things that we have just spoken of the good shepherd are yours in Christ. So today, will you follow Jesus? Will you repent right now where you are and say, Jesus, save me? Forgive me of my sins. I trust what Christ did at the cross. I want to follow the Good Shepherd. Today, would you be saved? I hope so. And to the church, I tell you this we should never view the world as the others, those people. We should look to the world with compassion and with love. And we should go to everyone and share the name of Jesus. There are sheep who are not a part of this fold that are out there in the world. They need to hear the good news. And God has established how his good news will go forth. It is through his people. And may we go and proclaim the good news so the sheep will be found in Christ Jesus. But if we're just looking at the world as the others then we will not have a zeal to go spread the name of Jesus. But also, we should never be surprised when the world sees us as the others. Your love for Jesus, your commitment to following him and being a part of the local church is not viewed by other people as weird, strange, radical. May we not do less as a church, but may we do more as the church. And I'm not talking about activities and events. I'm talking about obedience and trusting in the Lord. Gathering together as a church, worshiping. I'm so glad that you're here today. If you wanted an excuse today, you could go, oh, it's going to be a little cool and rainy out. I don't think I'll go today. You came, you're here. May we keep coming. May we be faithful. But understand that there are going to be people who look at you and do not understand, and they'll look at you as if you're just some other type of person. You're strange. It's alien to them in the world there are many who follow christ there are many who follow christ we do not know who they are but the good shepherd does there are many who follow and there are many who will follow and so we're not alone in this you're not all by yourself god has gathered a sheep for the good shepherd And even as we read in scripture, the father gives the son these sheep and he takes care of the sheep and he knows each one of his sheep by name. And so church, as we come to the table today, may we be reminded that the shepherd knows us by name. And if you're believing in Jesus, your confidence is that he knows you and that you know him. This is all the great work of the Good Shepherd, and it can be trusted, but it's good. At this time I'm going to ask our men who are serving communion if they'll make their way to the back. And if they're headed back that way, I just want to share this with you that when you take the bread today and you hold it in your hand, may you just remember the body of Christ? that he had the authority to lay his life down for you. This was his authority. And that this body went to a grave, but he did not stay dead. He rose from that grave. Remember that when we take of the bread today, that if anybody is to get to you, they must come through Christ first. And if you ever fear of being lost from the fold, you have to get through Christ first. <laughs> he will never lose you. Remember that when you eat the bread today. And then when you drink of the cup, it does look like drops of blood in a cup. And as you hold it in your hands and you look upon that deep red substance that's there in the cup, may you be reminded of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was shed for you. And washes away your sins, which has made you worthy to come to the table and to stand before God as righteous. There's righteousness in the blood of Christ as he cleanses us from our sins and he places his righteousness upon us. So may we drink the cup with confidence and great hope, knowing that all these things are true. And we of all people ought to celebrate the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray as God's blessings upon the table at this time. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we can come to the table. We do ask now that Lord. We come to the table with gratitude, with humility and confession of sin. Thank you that by your grace we have these moments of remembering what Christ has done for us but not only what he has done but what he will do by returning for us. Thank you that we have such a strong shepherd that no one can overtake him And no one can snatch us from him. As we have just said, Lord, may it be true. May we take of this bread and from this cup today with great confidence in Christ Jesus. We ask your blessings upon the bread and the cup. It's in Jesus' name that we come to the table. Amen.